Since the day she gave me that coveted final rose, my wife, Trista Sutter, has made me a better person. If she can get me to know better, to do better, and to just all around be better, then I'm sure she can do it for you too. You're listening to Better Etc. with my wife and your host, Trista Sutter. Hey, everybody. This is Trista Sutter, and this is so exciting. It's my first episode of my first podcast. It's called Better Etc., and I'm so happy you're here and you're listening and giving this a shot. I am really thrilled to be able to put something out into the world that hopefully will spread more positivity. That is my whole purpose, my whole reason for being here. I want to create a community for all of us to be able to come to improve our situations, improve the world, and become better versions of ourselves. So that is what my goal is. And I'm really hopeful and really excited and feeling extremely fueled up to be able to bring you guests from all around the world who have specific expertise or have really cool, interesting stories, something really difficult that they've been through that they can share to help us all be better. And my first guest, who, if you know me, you know him, we are kind of a package deal. We met on the first season of The Bachelorette. We got engaged after taping the show for six weeks. Yes, only six weeks. And we have been married for almost 17 years, have two beautiful children, Max and Blakesley, who are 13 and 11 currently. And I thought, why not bring the person that you all love to see me with most and be able to share this initiation, if you will, of this podcast. So I am so thrilled to be able to welcome Ryan Sutter. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I think congratulations on this. I know you've worked hard to get here. I'm excited for you and proud and happy to be a part of the first podcast. Yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, let's be honest, you've been a big, if not the biggest part of my life for the past 18 years. So to have you part of this, especially from the get go means a lot to me. So thank you. Yeah, of course. You know, for everyone listening, they they might be fans because maybe that's how they found out about the podcast. And I want people to know the real Ryan Sutter, the deeper parts of what makes you you, what makes you tick, besides just the the firefighter who played football and writes great poetry, you know? So I'd love for you to talk about your motto, which is no rush, no pause. Mm-hmm. And go into where you found out about it or why you were drawn to it and what it means for you in your life right now. Yeah, I didn't I didn't invent it. I didn't, you know, come up with it on my own. I came across it somewhere. It really just stuck with me. It made a lot of sense to me at that period in my life, especially when I was kind of rushing around or I felt at least like I was always rushing around trying to do something else or, you know, be better at something else or, you know, even if, you know, every bike ride I went on was all about getting it done faster than the last time, or every hike that I went on was trying to get to the summit as quickly as possible. And so um, that was exhausting. And I, I really felt like I wasn't making any actual progress. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it's weird to say, you know, you're, you go on a hike and you get to the top and that seems like that's the point, but I wasn't really appreciating, you know, each step of the way. Right. And I would get to the point where I would even just, you know, push through things maybe sort of haphazardly or or explore things without really actually, you know, knowing what I was getting into. And so 
This motto, no rush, no pause, kind of helped me slow down. When you're rushing around, you know, time is like, is going by really fast. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of hard to keep up with it. It's stressful. But when you slow down a little bit, you don't rush things, time kind of slows down along with you, it becomes a little bit more of an efficient process. You think your way through things, you absorb things a little bit better, and you find yourself probably further along in the end than you would have if you were if you were, you know, in a mad scramble all the time. So I guess that kind of sums it up. It's, it's, it's really helpful now as I get older, especially, I'm, you know, just not capable of doing everything that I used to be able to do physically or, you know, especially physically. So <laughs> now it's like, well, maybe I want to do this climb or go on this bike ride that I've already done or start a project that, you know, maybe a, a larger challenge. And I don't have the same physical aptitude to do it as quickly as I used to do. And I, I can't allow that to make me not do it just right. because I'll be discouraged by it or something. So by not rushing it, I can say, well, let's just find some different meaning in that same mm -hmm. exercise. So I, I think a lot more when I go on hikes and walks, and it's actually a really meditative process for me now. And so we all go through stages in life. And maybe when you're young and youthful, you're not meant to slow down too much. But as you mature and you sort of start to figure things out and you figure out life, especially trying to be a good husband and trying to be a good father and trying to be a good firefighter, all these things, it really helps to slow your process down yeah. and just take your time getting to where you want to be. So, you know, you take less missteps that way. And yeah, I guess that's it. You know, it's not, not complicated, really. I wish I could <laughs> tell, I wish I could sort of with some sort of more profound thing that would be life-changing for everybody. But for me, it's been, it kind of has been, you know, a, a really useful tool to refer back to. But I think it is profound. I think that it is kind of the same outlook as a child, you know, and I feel like I would love to go back and see when you first heard this phrase, no rush, no pause, and see if we had already had children or how old they were, because I feel like they they stopped to smell the roses, you oh, know? Yeah. And no rush, no pause is very similar to that in that you're stopping along your along the way to enjoy the path that you're on. And I feel like we have both learned that from our children is that they they have this great big eye saucers, you know, look on the world. At least they used to. <laughs> yeah, no, I distinctly remember a hike with Max when he was I don't know, two or three, you could still fit in the backpack thing. Yeah. And I had gotten out the map like I always do when I'm trying to figure out where to go. Found a cool trail that I thought would be fun to get to. Took Max and we made it like 250 yards. Right. And I was initially was pretty frustrated. I was like, geez, we're never going to get anywhere here. <laughs> right. Because Max, yeah, at the time was wanting to pick up every rock, throw at every stick, throw it, look at every bug. Mm -hmm. Didn't want to stay on the trail. And at that point, I was still in that sort of, you know, kind of point to point accomplishment yeah. type mindset. And that probably started it without even having heard the words, just the recognition of, oh, what's happening here is I've had these kids and they're reshaping my perspective. So you're, you're learning just through them. And they're like, because they're seeing all this stuff for the first time. Right, right. So it's fascinating to them. And, and I think 
I and probably others take that for granted and think, well, we don't look at all the sticks and rocks and bugs. And yeah. they're really actually pretty cool if you, you do stop to do that and kids mm -hmm. make you do that. So Max kind of, you know, probably was the first person without even knowing it to start showing me the importance of slowing down a little bit and not stopping, but right. but moving, moving forward, slower. yeah, but enjoying the ride. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I think it's also important to note that you are a pretty competitive person. I mean, you've played sports your entire life. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's not a bad thing to have goals and right. to want to reach those goals and sometimes to want to reach them quickly, especially if you're competing in a marathon or a triathlon or whatever you were doing, you know, 10 yeah. years ago. So I, I think it's worthy to note that you are a competitive person and there's nothing wrong with that. But I feel yeah. like there's a way to be both. There's a way to be um, competitive at heart, but also enjoy the path and the training to get to the top of the mountain. Yeah, no, I, I honestly think it goes hand in hand. I, like, obviously, you remember when I tore my Achilles tendon. Oh, yes, I remember. <laughs> you know, I had been heavily into triathlons and then decided to go try to play in the NFL again. Mm -hmm. And I tore my Achilles tendon in New Orleans Saints training camp. The doctor told me what had happened was I, what had happened what was, had happened was. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> sorry, we do that all the time. I, um, huh. had over the course of training for triathlons turned my tendons into a particular sort of like morphed them into endurance tendons. Mm -hmm. And then I was rushed right into explosive movements again and, and it, didn't work out. So no, it did not. even when you're training for something, you know, for example, if, if someone just so you wakes up and says, I want to, I want to somehow bench press my body weight or twice my body weight. Well, you don't go out and do that. You don't just go down to the gym and put <laughs> it don't? on the bar no, and go. <laughs> yeah. You don't, you don't lose weight, you know, in a day. Mm -hmm. You take that no rush, no pause approach and, and put some perspective behind it and say, all right, well, I'm going to start with you know, an eighth of my body weight, or I'm going to start with one pound and I'm going to go from there and, and appreciate those accomplishments along the way with an eye towards the, the greater accomplishment. And you, so you can still be competitive and you can still want to get better. And it's hard to not, you know, if you, if you want to lose weight, you want to lose it now. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to get stronger, you want to get stronger tomorrow. Like I'm in the middle of trying to re-strengthen my legs after the fire academy and I want the strength back now. But I have to understand that if I go down and just blast my legs, well, I'm actually going to take a step backwards. And, and so it, it applies to even the most ambitious competitive people. Mm -hmm. It just kind of how you, how you apply it, I suppose, but right. you can still go hard. You can go pedal to the metal on life. I, th I don't think you or anyone would say that, you know, we're not still that way. No, we are. Um, you know, sure. we're still charging pretty hard. But just enjoying the process too. Yeah. And I think another component of that, and who knows, I don't know if this is true, but when I had my seizure, you know, it, it definitely made both of us look at life as a gift and, and that we, it's a, it's a, it's a short life. Yeah. And we need to take advantage of every day and try to enjoy every day as much as possible because we don't know when. Well, well yeah, and relax coming. a little. Like that that seizure is a great example of you being so motivated to plan and plan and plan and go and go and go and maximize this trip. Yeah. 
and, and your body. And get super stressed out along the way. Yeah, well, it's the same thing with the fire academy, and that wasn't that was not my or anyone's fault. But you go and go and go, and you're up at three o'clock in the morning, and you're trying to get to bed by seven thirty just so you can get some sleep, or you know, mm -hmm. you're cramming all this stuff in, and you're putting your body under all this stress. And in your case, um, you had the seizure. You're, eventually, your body's going to be like, all right, if you're not going to slow down. I'm going we to slow you down. Yeah. Yes, we are and, going to slow you, you know, down. I mean, I go, I'm going through the same things is where you, you, know, you can only ask yourself to do so much. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, you, you, can, you can go out and get the best sports car in the world and, and just hammer it. But if it runs out of gas, it's going to stop. And you just can't. <laughs> yeah. You're the same way. And you, you got to continue to refuel and, you know, put make sure you know, check it, make sure there's air in the tires and all that sort of stuff. I continue to use that analogy, but you know, it's, it's important because if you don't do it, eventually your body's going to do that. I, I mean, we could go on and on. I think that's what's happening to the natural world. For example, you know, you're getting all of these crazy storms and fires and things. I think that the natural world is under a ton of, a ton mm -hmm. of stress and it's starting to say, all right, well, if you're not going to back off of me, I'm going to start forcing you to and so it's yeah people are ambitious and we always want to work and we want to it's for, we're very competitive we want to get you know, we want to have what everybody else has and sometimes you know i mean you know better than anyone sometimes you just need to be appreciative for what you have and grateful for what you have and take your time getting a little further but yeah you know there's a lot of happiness in what we already have we don't always have to have more yeah agree unless it's bikes then you need more bikes <laughs> <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. A little, a little look into my world when he's constantly asking for a new bike. They're not cheap. Also, I feel like another great little window into your soul is the books that you read. I feel like there are mm. a couple that have really hit you over the years and stuck with you. The lessons from them, the stories in them, the authors who write them. Um, can you talk about a couple of your favorite books and why they're important to your life? You know, The Alchemist is a book that I've I uh, started reading in college, and I probably read once a year just as a reminder. You kind of it kind of helps put things in perspective for me. This is a really simple, short book, and you can read it quickly. And that's when I go back to what's a it lot. about for someone who hasn't read it. It's about a a boy who's a, a shepherd, and he leaves his flock, and you know, it ends up meeting this alchemist and figuring out sort of the, the the sort of no rush no pause philosophy he figures out that life is kind of about what you what you have and what you make of it and um it's not always about you know trying to to go turn lead into gold type of stuff so mm -hmm. it's i don't know everybody gets a different message out of it so I, you know it's hard to to say exactly but for me it's just a reminder of appreciating what you have yeah and you know sometimes you go out and you try and discover this whole new thing. I mean, the fire thing is kind of a good example. You go out and 
try to discover a whole new thing and you come full circle and find out you were really in the right place mm-hmm. all along. So mm-hmm. that kind of thing, any book by Malcolm Gladwell, mm-hmm. I, I really like him as an author because he kind of tells stories within his writings and it helps you to understand his message. Mm-hmm. What are his biggest messages? Well, each book's kind of different. Let's see, there's uh, Blink, there's The Out- Outliers is really good. Uh, I like that one. It's sort of about how people's unique kind of circumstances life in life, whether they're, they have dyslexia or when they were born and how that kind of shapes where they go in life and how their responses to that sort of shape where they go in life. Um, I can't remember. There's one I'm listening to on actually Audible book, oh, How to Talk to Strangers. Um, right. And that one's really interesting too. It's all about perspective and this sort of myth of transparency where, you know, sometimes someone in one culture, you may interpret a facial expression as happiness and in another church culture, it's mm-hmm. sadness. And, and it goes into things, you know, heavy subjects, um, like sexual assault type things and mm-hmm. how people misinterpret signals and, and, and things. And that oftentimes, you know, it, it, it's a lot of it's just a miscommunication type of situation that people find them get themselves into and it causes a lot of pain and anguish in life and so he's just a really good author touches on really um, interesting subjects and i think you always get something that betters your you you better yourself by reading his books or or listening to them in my case but yeah so yeah there's a couple of them tim ferris Renee Brown, like all yeah, those, yeah, all those people. I feel right. like I, I've gotten yo. Know, I used to do a lot of that. Like Tim's, I read his four hour work week book, and you know, Brene has lots of great things to say as well. She she uses the man in the arena quote a lot. The a Roosevelt quote about you know the man in the arena, and you know it's better to be. I can't remember the entire quote, but it's essentially it's better to be in the arena doing things and be outside of it essentially. Mm -hmm. And she uses that quote and I've loved that quote for a long time. But then I sort of got away from, you know, I, I went to, I I got my master's in leadership and ironically discovered that oftentimes what people um, count as leadership is just reading a lot of books on self-help and leadership and and adopting other people's philosophies. And so (laughs) I mean, that, this is just my personal take. And so yeah. I felt like I was just reading too many books about getting better. Like, you know, when I was at Vail, the fire chief, you could tell he had just read a book about like how to treat your employees because he would come up to you and, and ask you about your family and, you know, and my, what I felt like pretending to care, like pretending to care because he read a book that said a good leader asks your employees mm-hmm. about their families. And I was like, I don't want to be that. I want to just be somebody that's regurgitating someone else's yeah. philosophy. I want to go and find my own. Like, I actually changed my, I don't know if you noticed this, I changed my Instagram title to, I added philosopher in there. Oh, I did see that. Because philosopher actually means seeker of wisdom. Hmm. And I think today, everybody just goes after this knowledge, right? And it's not always mm-hmm. even true. It's just, you're being fed knowledge. And no one pairs it with experience, which is the formula for wisdom. And so Mm -hmm. when you hear something, then what you should go do is experience it or try to develop it into an experience to see if it's actually true. Mm. You know, like this, like the social justice stuff and, you know, go participate, go downtown, talk to, you know, a homeless person or go, I don't know, 
it's it's interesting, but if you if you actually try to seek the truth rather than just listen to other people's opinions of it, mm. then it becomes wisdom. And that's that's what a philosopher is basically, is they, they just take knowledge and pair it with experience and then you turn you turn it into wisdom. And that's, you know, the fire service works that way where you you read something like how, you know, how to put out a fire and then you go do it and you're like, right. oh, that's why they say, you know, cool the ceiling or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like this because you actually, because it's really hot. The mm-hmm. ceiling's really hot. And you're like, okay, <laughs> well, that makes sense then now because I've experienced it. And mm-hmm. so I just felt like I was reading all these books about other people's experiences and maybe other people's wisdom without, you know, so I was gaining a lot of knowledge, but I wasn't gaining a lot of wisdom. And now I feel like I'm in this phase where I want to be more wise than knowledgeable. People, this is why I love them. (laughs) You are a philosopher. I feel like I've always thought that, but never really said it. So I think that you giving yourself that title is really wise. You don't have to go to school for it. I think honestly think everybody should adopt it. If everyone had took that attitude, that a philosopher's attitude, one, a large majority of philosophers over time were walkers. Like they, they walked to think, mm-hmm. to meditate. Mm-hmm. So one, that's a great thing. That's a great mm-hmm. trait to have. So that's one reason for being a philosopher. And then, so you know, you're getting out, you're experiencing life, you're walking, you're thinking, um, for whatever reason, walking stimulates thought for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So you know, if if nothing else, that's a good reason to be be a philosopher. And then the whole seek, seeking wisdom thing, so you can just be a more sympathetic or empathetic or understanding, compassionate person yeah. is the other part of it. And, you know, I, I think I'd always thought, well, you have to go get like a master's in philosophy and study all these, you know, you know, Plato and Socrates and all right. these people. You don't, you just go out and take what you know and, and, apply an experience to it and be a student and you're a philosopher yeah Yeah. so it's easy i should start a relatively online like (laughs) school just (laughs) Just one more of your ideas he's full of ideas people he has them all the time and many of them get shot down by me yeah (laughs) but you have had quite a few that are good ideas and so i think one of those is for all of us to embrace the title of philosopher to be a student of life to want to become wiser and experience life as much as possible so yeah i think that's great i think that's actually an actionable tip for anyone listening just the walking part yeah. you know get out there and walk not just for your own physical health and well-being but for your mental health and well-being and maybe you stimulate you it's know, almost philosoph- impossible to do it without thinking like you can't right and that's actually an exercise that the Native Americans would try. It's called fox walking. And they would walk incredibly, incredibly slow. No way. So that they weren't thinking like, like, you know, a half hour to walk 20 yards or something like really slow, paying attention to every movement, every sensation, like meditative walking. Uh And that it's like meditation. Like you try to meditate and all you do is think. Uh So, there is that side of it where you could try to go for a walk and not think about things. But now, you know, inherently when you go for a walk, you're going to think, you know, the things that are on your mind, you're going to think about them. And that's pretty healthy to like kind of think about it, maybe get it off your mind or come up with a solution or 
you know, maybe determine what, what your next actionable steps might be. Mm-hmm. But, um, and then every now and then try to just walk 10 yards in 15 minutes and see how hard that is. It's a real challenge. But there's the exemplifying the no rush, no pause. That is so like, true. Okay, try to do, walk across the dry, take, instead of going around the block three miles, take the same amount of time and walk across the driveway. Oh my gosh. Pay that attention to every sensation. <laughs> It's interesting. Talk about though. impatience. Hello, right here, embodied interest of Sutter. I think you'd find it fascinating, especially if they're if it's windy or like if it's you know sprinkling or snowing or something, and then you can feel you hear the snowfall. You you get it a lot when 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 I go like skinning up the mountain in the snow, yeah. like you hear the snow and you feel it, and you feel this you know your sweatiness and the snow melting, and it's pretty crazy how heightened you can make your your sensations. Senses. Your senses, yeah. Cool. And for anyone out there listening who doesn't know what skinning a mountain is, <laughs> you're basically climbing a mountain in skis. Yep. Mm-hmm. You put um, you know, what are called skins on the bottom of your skis that give you traction to ski up the mountain. And then you take them off at the top, peel them off at the top and ski back down. It's okay. hugely popular up here. So I want to get to... The main reason why I wanted to talk to you today, because so many people are asking me, and I'm sure you on social, about your career change and and why it happened and all that. So going back, you gave 17 years of your life to the Vail Fire Department, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth. You can tell me what what happened, but I feel like it was time to move on. Mm -hmm. And so you did the VCB thing, and then you moved to Denver Fire. So tell me about, about that path. Well, going all the way back to the very first day, I decided to become a firefighter. Yeah. Uh, that there was just something appealing to it. Like like you said about the podcast, there was something about it that resonated with me. I was always into team sports. It seemed right in line with that. It was adventurous. Every day was different. It just, it was, it, in so many ways, it just spoke to me. So I I joined on with Vail and and continued to work hard there and enjoy the process and made a ton of great friends and had a ton of really good experiences. And then I got to the point, like you said, where it just, I was, I was losing the desire to show up to work and I still showed up, but I drove a little slower to work and I dreaded kind of what the day held. You would stress the night before. Yeah, it was, it wasn't an enjoyable career anymore. And um, despite the fact that I still worked with some great guys, the environment at Vail had changed, the leadership had changed. It was just a place where I didn't feel as at home as I as I had in the past. Mm-hmm. And I, I took that as um, a need to get out of the fire service, that maybe I had seen too much or done too much and that this was having an emotional impact on me. Maybe there was um, PTSD that was starting to, to show up and um, I went through a lot of different processes to look into that sort of stuff and um, and then ultimately decided to leave a great friend at Vail Custom Builders who I play hockey with. And he, you know, generously offered me a position I probably wasn't qualified for, but he was willing to let me work into it. And so I took that job and started project management and working with him. And and I feel like we should go back. Your dad was an architect. You right. studied yep. architecture. I have. Yeah, I worked in construction in college in, in the summers. I, I have an architecture degree. So I have some background. It wasn't like I was just jumping into no. something completely different. And, and you love looking at houses. Like Yeah, no, it seemed 
you know, on the surface, it seemed like a great thing. And after, you know, you probably remember this, the very first one day I showed up one day and I was on a project um, with a great, um, it was a great custom home build for wonderful owners who I'm still friends with. And I, I drove home and was like, what have I done? I just like, this is, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And I, yeah, I kept showing up and kept trying and I told myself I was going to give, give it a, you know, at least a legitimate effort. Um, and, you know, several months went by my, my boss, Ted, um, gave me a lot of different opportunities in a lot of different areas. Um, I think I did well in all of them. I don't feel like I was bad at the job. I just didn't, I just didn't love it. And he could tell that. And we had a lot of conversations about it. And eventually I sat down with him and I, and I told him, I think I was going to try to go back to the fire service. So I started looking back into, into that. And, um, well, actually, but what solidified it was I went to go get, I think a cancer screening, like a skin cancer screening at the doctor's and you had to fill out the application and it asks you what your profession is. And for the first time in 17 years, it wasn't firefighter and it, and it was like, well, that doesn't, that's not right. It should be, should still be firefighter. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started looking into it. And I thought, and I thought, you know, if I'm going to go back at this, I was 44, I think at the time, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it as far as I can go. And to me, that was Denver fire. Mm -hmm. Um, They're one of the best departments in the country, the state for sure. Their culture was something I was looking for, something with more history, um, where firefighting was the, the main focus, performance was the main focus, someplace where I would really have to earn my position. And um, so I started completely over. And there's a lot more action. There, oh, and a lot more happens. It's, yeah. it's the big city. You're dealing with things you just don't deal with in Vail. I hesitate to say it this way because I think I have a tremendous amount of respect for the guys up here working the job but it just you just feel like you feel more like a real firefighter yeah job's the same it's just there's just way more of it well and you're a firefighter and in Vail, how many fires did you have you probably could count them on right yeah no not to say that you don't do you don't get a lot of good things in Vail too but of course not but down there anyway anyway so i just said you know what firefighting is what i was meant to do that's where my purpose is i'm going to go for it as aggressively as i can and so luckily there was an application um, open at Denver. So I applied. I also applied back at Vail and then at Eagle River Fire, which is a neighboring department to Vail's. I was offered jobs at all, well, both of those first. It was really difficult to turn down Eagle River's job because I have a tremendous amount of respect for their fire chief and their, and their guys. But I knew that Denver was still a possibility and I didn't want to take a job that I knew I might be leaving shortly after taking it, especially with a new department. And so I had an opportunity to, to take a position at Vail that had just been vacated by someone who left. It was a relatively easy transition. I was familiar with it. It seemed to me like a good place to be. And if Denver didn't come through, then it wasn't a bad place to right. land. But then Denver came through and I left Vail. It was initially, it was um, a difficult thing to do you know, things happened while I, when I left that made, that confirmed my, confirmed my decision to leave. And so I started over with Denver. I went all the way back to fire academy of 45 years old, 18 weeks in the fire academy. I'm currently still in the middle of probation. 
spend the majority of my day cleaning up after grown men and women. And, <laughs> and it's hard. I mean, it's, it's really exhausting and hard. I drive 120 miles to work every day. I work right in the heart of um, drug use and homelessness and gang violence and um, geriatric issues and just about anything you can imagine happens in Denver. And so, and so I'm there and, and I love being there. And it sounds weird to say that I enjoy those, those types of situations. I like, I've always taken the approach that it's not like I'm, I'm wishing harm on anyone. Or no, of course anyone. not. All I'm hoping for is the opportunity to help someone out of a bad situation because bad situations are inevitable and somebody needs to be there to help people when they get into them. And that's what I love to do. And so I've never been more sure about where I am professionally in life. It's really hard to start over. You know, I mean, without this, your support, that's another thing that's probably worth mentioning. And when you're, when you're taking a big chance like this is you need to have the support of your family or if you're your wife, if you're married, your husband, if you're married, your kids, because there's an impact, financial impact in our case, um, a time impact, you know, just a lot of, a lot of things that other people are going to have to go through in order to support you to get through these situations. So it's very often the case that when you want to be, become a better person, when you want to pursue something that you think is going to going to help you personally, that you rely on other people to get there. And that's something that's important to, to recognize so that you can make sure that you express appreciation and that you are grateful for that because it's, it really is something special. I don't think a lot of people have that. There may be a lot of people that would love to go, you know, turn their life upside down and start over <laughs> or do something like that, but they just, they can't, they're not in a situation where they can do that. So I am fortunate to be able to to continue to pursue this career, at least for now that I have, I mean, you'll still have my relative health, although that, you know, as you get older, you start to feel more and more aches and pains and <laughs> I'm not immune to that. So there's been an adjustment, but yeah, I don't, I don't even remember what the original question to this was, but <laughs> that's the process that I've gone through it was just to that. make myself better. There was, there was for, first the recognition that something needed to change at Vail Fire. Right. Then there was for you. Yeah. Then there was the attempt. Then then there was the failure. Like the the building working for Vail Custom Builders. Do you was, see that as a failure? I think it was a failed attempt at finding a, a future career. Um, I I don't feel like I failed no. Vail Custom Builders, I and and that. I don't think that Ted would would say that I failed either. I think I gave it a shot. Um, that's sometimes is the hardest part, and it didn't work out, and so. You you pick yourself up and take a look hard look at at where you are and and then move forward and and that's what I did and ultimately I've ended up here where I'm much much happier and if, you know if this is the right place place for me and I think eventually hopefully God willing I get through probation and can get you know through this sort of initial phase of being back in the fire service and I know for sure that will be the place for me so. Um, and, and so now I just focus on trying to get better as a firefighter and better as a Denver firefighter specifically. And, and that's easy for me because I love doing that stuff. So, and that, maybe that's how, you know, that you're kind of along the right path is that challenging yourself to become better is actually something you look forward to doing. Right. That you actually want to do it. You want to put the energy into it. Yeah. I think that it's worthy to note that. When you were at VCB and when you were, sorry, that's Vail Custom Builders, when he was working in construction, 
for that little year gap, a lot of people asked, so why are you going back to the fire department or why are you leaving? And my answer was always, you know, he misses the purpose of being a firefighter. He misses helping the people that you were, you help every day you're on the job, you know, and, and yes, you're, you're helping people to build, you know, their, their havens, you know, their, their homes. And, and that there is definitely something to be said for that. I think that, you know, construction has its purpose, but its purpose wasn't your purpose. They didn't align. I feel like your purpose is to challenge yourself to be there to help people. I mean, what you guys, one of his favorite freaking things that drives me kind of crazy sometimes just because he wants all the gear and all the toys and all the everything is pulling people out of ditches. So he has this giant truck and he's been dying to get a, what's it called? A bumper winch, a winch, a winch yeah. uh, on his truck, which I'm like, but you don't even need it because you pull people out of ditches without one. <laughs> he just, he loves doing that. It's like his favorite thing. If he ever has to pull someone out of a ditch, he's like on cloud nine. Yes, mm-hmm. uh-huh. yeah. it's true. So he just, he, you have a heart for helping people. And I think that people need to know that, that your decision came about to go back to the fire service after taking that break because you missed the purpose, correct? Yeah. You know, I think I actually gave this speech to the recruit class when we graduated oh, that's right. and it was just it was about that like what while i was building homes i was constantly searching for components of the firehouse to integrate into that process so how could i you know repel off of a roof to access you know clean a window or like how could <laughs> i help this person with a certain task or whatever and then and then i'll never forget when i did decide to leave and this was kind of what the basis of my speech was about was that when I told the kids and I told them, um, hey, you know, guys, I'm going to uh, leave fire service and go into building houses. Uh, Blakesley, I think, was nine at the time. And she's she immediately was like, oh, that's OK, Dad, I'll just keep telling everyone you're a firefighter. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, it didn't hit me at the time, but she was she was right. I think what I realize now and what I told these recruits was that this isn't a profession. This isn't what you do. It's who you are. And yeah. it's, it had become what defined me. It wasn't like I, you know, and this, this, I think this is true. To a lot of professions, especially one, you know, service type professions, teachers and things like that, where that's what you are. I mean, you, you can't leave it behind if, if, you know, God forbid something happened and I couldn't be a firefighter anymore and I was, you know, making coffees at Starbucks or whatever, I would still internally consider myself a firefighter because that would be how I approached every single day, how I approached every situation. Like you said, it wouldn't be like I would stop pulling people out of ditches or, or looking for those types of opportunities because that's what, that's who I am. It's, mm-hmm. it's not I mean, like I said, you know, it's not what I do. It's who I truly am as a person. And, and that's pretty cool to realize when you, when you do, because I don't know that, that many professional people actually have that sort of good fortune where, you know, it, maybe they do, but it, like if you're a home builder or if you're a lawyer or 
or whatever, do you, do you relate to that profession on an intimate level like you do with, with the fire service? I don't know. Or is it, or just, is it just a job? Yeah. Or you, yeah. you know, do people ask what you do and you're, you're, you know, you're a doctor or you're maybe not a doctor so much. That seems like another one that you could probably be a secretary. That, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, you know. Yeah, there's so many people that are just doing things um, because they have to, or um, you know, they, they just they just need a job. And that's important yeah, for well, no. you know to be able to pay the bills, but to be able to realize what your purpose is, and to be able to live it out every day, I feel like is a huge blessing. It's like know. being a parent. You, you, yeah, like I feel it as. Being a firefighter is similar to being a parent. Like the, I will always be a parent no matter what. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel about my job. And I think it's, you know, it took me a long time to get here, mm-hmm. you know, I, 45 years to realize that. But um, that's okay. I think sometimes it just takes a little longer. Yeah. No rush, no plus. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, there there was a point in time when you were really struggling mentally, you know, like before when you were at Bellfire. And I feel like we both had thoughts. We might have even talked about it. I don't know if we actually did. But whether you were like going through a, you know, a, what do you call it? A midlife crisis or, right. you know, something like that. And you just kept moving forward and and trying to better yourself and and opening your, or not keeping a narrow-minded focus and opening yourself up to possibilities. So what I think moving into that, I feel like that is one of your, your strengths is, is being open and, and knowing who you are truly. But what would you say to people out there who are looking for either their purpose or aligning their purpose with their career? Well, I hope that people, when they tune into this podcast to to find ways to become better at various components of their life, that they remain open-minded because some of the stuff that probably people say won't resonate, you know, completely with them. But I think, you know, you know part of the situation that we're in today in the world is that, that there isn't a whole lot of open-mindedness and willingness for people to allow differences and um, the the answer to your question is I think the most important thing is to be willing to fail. Failure has become, you know, has turned into a word that's somehow seen as negative, right? And it it isn't. It isn't. An, it isn't negative. And I I think it. I don't remember exactly, but I feel like if you look back to the, you know, the roots of what where the word failure comes from, it I think it's something like just like trying again or some something mm-hmm. simple like that, where it doesn't mean that there's no shame in it. It's right. so when people are, are contemplating a, whether it's a career move or having kids or getting married or whatever, anything that takes some, some gumption, they just need to not to realize that it might not work out. It might not there. They may fail, but that that's okay. And they'll learn something from it. I mean, if you take you and I, I mean, what, what were the chances we were coming out of that show with someone, whether or not it was going to work or I don't not, know who knows. But, if you hadn't been there, I don't know about that. Well, you you probably would have, and who knows how it would have worked out. But I had, you know, a what, 4% chance going into it. Is that what you've yeah. calculated? 
Well, there are 25 guys. So okay. right ahead. One in 25. He's better at math than I am. So, yeah, I had about a 4% chance that all things being equal of, you know, just going on paper of yeah. of coming out the way that it did, 4%. You know, most people aren't getting on an airplane if there's a f- <laughs> right. only a 4% chance you're going to survive, you know. So I didn't think probably I was going to win, but I was willing to accept failure for the opportunity to to have that to have this um, life that we have. So Andrew just couldn't say no. Yeah. He has a problem. Yeah. The, the, the point <laughs> is that, if, you know, you know, you don't know what life's going to present you. And right. if you are overly consumed with what might happen, if you aren't successful, then you're probably not going to be successful. And that's, that can be fine too. If you, if, you know, if it's, if life's just simpler that way or, or whatever, or you, you're in a situation where maybe you can't afford to take a risk with your career. Mm-hmm. That's okay. I mean, you know, finding, finding purpose in that is, is possible too, where um, I think a lot of people who, who like we talked about earlier are, are maybe in job, maybe they dreamed of being a, you know, a musician and they're, they're just, they're not a musician. They're working in an office somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, the, whatever. Seeing that as a way, a means of supporting a family and, and potentially like a, a means of buying a guitar or taking guitar lessons or singing lessons or having a small little neighborhood band or something. There, there are indirect ways that you can still pursue your purpose without your career being a part of it. Right. So I think, you know, that's a, that's a good way for people to look at it is, I mean, not everyone can be a fireman. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that apply and don't get a chance. And I'm sure some of them would be great at it, but not everybody can be it. So you can still find ways to help people, even if it's not your profession. So that would be my advice was, you know, don't be afraid of failure. And if you can't find the most direct route to what to be what you really dream of being, then try to find an indirect route to get there so that you can still realize you still be the person that you want to be and be happy with your life. What about for like younger people who, you know, don't, they're kind of looking for their purpose. They're looking for what they should do with their life. You know, I feel like we've talked to Max about, about being a firefighter, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and the attributes uh, or the, the benefits uh, that come along with it. And you know, that seed has been planted and who knows where he'll, he'll end up. I have no doubt it will be something fun to watch. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll be proud of him as I know you will, but what, what's your take on like actually getting there, you know, whether it's through internships or, or whatever, how did you know at the start, you know, did you always have this romanticized view of firefighters or, or how, like, how would you recommend for people to actually find, find that purpose if they're struggling or well, if they're young what, and they just haven't had the life experience to know kind of the different directions to go? Yeah, well, that, that was the situation I was in. I mean, I, I, you know, I always went to school to, and got an architecture degree, but I played football and was drafted and football was really what I really loved to do. And so I got an opportunity to play that very briefly professionally and then that ended so there there was this passion that i had had since i was in fourth grade yeah that was gone and i i was you know i had to find something else to do yeah 
So I kind of looked back, you know, looked within myself to see what types of things had appealed to me when I was really young. And I mean, most, I would say a large percentage of young people are kind of attracted to firefighters. Like it's mm-hmm. the big trucks and like the, like kids just like fire firefighters, There's water and you could spray stuff. Women do fun. too. Yeah. And so when <laughs> I, I was no different, when I was little, I used to like have the little plastic fire hat and spray the garden hose and put out fake fires. And so yeah. I had always wanted to play football, to be a fireman and then to be a cowboy. Cowboy was less realistic. Fireman was intriguing. So I began to look into it. I talked to some people who were in that profession. I went and got my EMT. Uh, I really enjoyed that process. So I knew that that was something that was kind of interesting. And then I got on as a resident at Vail, um, which is an opportunity to sort of explore the profession kind of almost part-time mm-hmm. and knew, knew then that that's what I wanted to be. So I, I kind of looked within myself to find things that were um, appealing to me, professions that were appealing to me that maybe were in line with um, things I'd done in my past. Like I said, for firefighter had a lot of the same attributes as football with it. It was sort of team oriented mm-hmm. and all those sorts of things. And then you just have to kind of start down the path and see if it continues to appeal to you or not. I mean, I did the same thing with the building stuff. You know, like I was like, well, I have all these, this history in it. Let me talk to some friends who are in the building industry. And I came out with the same thing was like, oh, it seems like it'll be something that I like. And so I started down the path. And in that case, I, the path wasn't the right one. So that can happen. You know, I mean, you look at how we dealt with sports with the kids, for example, like we introduced them to a lot of different sports. Very few of them really seemed to be hitting the kids' interests square on. And then Max went to hockey and suddenly it was like, whoa, all Max wants to do is play hockey. Yeah. And all Max still wants to do is play <laughs> hockey. True story. Um, Blakesley went to dance and Blakesley loves dance. And so that was initiated by us. Obviously, our kids were young, so we were introducing them to a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. But there's no reason why someone can't do the same thing, you know, it, you know, sort of take that sort of initiative themselves and if you have curiosities, um, like if you want to be a fireman, then go, you know, go for a ride along on a fire truck and see what it's like. See if you really do enjoy it or get an internship or get a part-time job or just call someone that, you know, maybe is in a profession that you're interested in and see how they like it and how did they get into it. And maybe that can sort of provide some insight into to whether or not you would like it or how you, how you even get there. So that, that's the thing. I think you just got to try, try things. If you don't know, I was always jealous of people that somehow were born just knowing what they wanted to do. And then they just a hundred percent full speed ahead towards that. And, you know, if they were successful, great. If they weren't, then they were sort of, sort of like me, they were like, well, now what? But Mm -hmm. it's so much easier if you just know, but not, not very many people know. And, and, and these types of things like these, there are so many podcasts out there with so many different personalities on them. And such good insight. So, yeah. And so it's just listen to them and it's easy. You can just throw them on while you're cooking dinner or you can, you know, like in my case, you can listen to them in the car, mm-hmm. whatever. And you'll hear people talk about different things about one, whether it's how to find a new job or what they do for a living or all these sorts of things that are so interesting. There's all kinds of 
there are a lot of opportunities in the world and there's really no reason to settle on something um, if you don't have to. So, um, yeah, I think that would be my advice is just still put yourself out there and look around. Yeah, I love it. One last question is, you know, you touched on your football career and how that came to a very an abrupt end when you were injured on your first play with the Panthers mm-hmm. at the time. So I'd love for you to share a little of how you, you know, for the kids, we always say, if you if you fall down, what do you do next? You get back up and you got back up and you kept moving. And but I know that was really difficult for you because you had all these dreams and you finally made this dream a reality by getting drafted and actually, you know, setting foot on an NFL field. But I want you to talk a little bit about how difficult that was and how you did pick yourself up and and move forward. It was extremely difficult. I remember calling um, my parents and my girlfriend at the time from the locker room after I got hurt at the Meadowlands in New Jersey against the Jets and just bawling. Just, you know, it was just over, just like that. I'd worked so hard to get there. And, um, I, you know, I didn't give up on that chance. I was like, well, I'll just get better. And um, it turns out in the NFL, it's really tough, once, especially if you're if you're young. And I wasn't by any means a superstar. So there, are, um, there were 100 people in line behind me. And so I got... You know, I had surgery, I rehabbed, um, I worked through the injury and got better. But by that time, the team had moved on. Um, they released me. I was demoralized, um, frustrated. I didn't, I lost a lot of the passion for the sport through that process. Had to find a new perspective, essentially. And, and that's, I guess, what I focused on. I I had worked so hard to get there and it was taken away. And, and what I what I did, which I think was, valuable was I had always been so disciplined, um, regimented, everything was always so scheduled. Um, I left the country and went to go, I had a a good friend um, who was in Costa Rica studying Spanish. And I just went down and hung out with him for like a little month or six weeks or whatever it was. And I had no schedule and I, I left, I gave myself no rules or inhibitions or anything. I just sort of tried to learn how to surf. I tried to learn how to speak Spanish. I Mm -hmm. just traveled around, you know, you, everything at that time was super inexpensive. So you could kind of get through, you could stay there for a long time. And I just sort of unwound and took the time to put perspective on my situation, you know, to, to realize that yes, it didn't work out, but I got pretty far and that I had done done a lot of things that a lot of people hadn't been able to do. And I tried to sort of pick myself up that way. And that, well, at the same time, um, kind of contemplating my next move. And that's where, you know, I started thinking about, um, you know, what career I wanted to do next and, you know, talking to people about that and, you know, just trying to, to formulate a plan. I was fortunate enough to know, to have the opportunity to go back and play a little more football in Europe which bought me a little bit more time, which was a, which was actually a really good way to go out of the profession because that environment was much less serious than it was NFL Europe, but it wasn't anything like the NFL in um, the United States where, you know, our practices were, were more relaxed. Our games were more relaxed. It was a lot more fun. We, I was in a new country. So 
that was a, I kind of saw that as my like, all right, here's a chance for me to play a little more football. And in the meantime, figure out what I'm going to do next with my life. Cause I, I pretty much knew I wasn't going to get back into the NFL. So, so yeah, that, that was a, a, you know, a point in my life where I kind of, you know, it's not the kind of rock bottom that, you know, it wasn't like a, a devastating, you know, life-threatening illness or something. But to me, it felt pretty rock bottom as far as dreams not being realized. And I had, you know, they always tell you, like, write down your goals. And I had goals, you know, 10-year career, be a, you know, make the Pro Bowl, all these sorts of really high expectations. And then <clears throat> they were all gone. Mm-hmm. So um, eventually I found pride in what I had accomplished. I mean, I walked on to the University of Colorado. I don't think anyone in the world would have ever thought I would have had a chance to play even one play in the NFL. So I proved a lot of people wrong. I proved um, to myself that I could accomplish things. Um, You know, when you get hurt, you get hurt. There's nothing I could have done differently to prevent that. So you just find the positive in it, um, as hard as that may be. Maybe it's just little positives at first. And then, like everything, time kind of takes over. The bad memories fade away. The good memories remain. And you use it as, you know, a source of strength for moving forward. So I learned a lot through that process, perseverance and hard work and strong work ethic and those sorts of things that I could take into um, whatever was going to be the next, you know, phase of my life. But But the important thing, I think, was allowing myself some freedom, Mm -hmm. you know, to not stress out about it right away. Yeah. To say, let's, you know, just go relax and have fun and let let loose. You know, inadvertently, I guess at the time, I sort of, that's where I was adopting that kind of no rush, no pause philosophy, but without really knowing it at the time. So cool. Okay, so this is a question I am going to ask everyone, all of my guests, Hopefully, hopefully there will be lots. But how do you foresee yourself being better tomorrow? I think, one, this has been a um, a really great opportunity to kind of, you know, in weird ways, sort of get to know you a little bit better, even <laughs> as a, you know, to be a part of yeah. your future and um, hopefully, you know, stimulate some growth, you know, who knows, maybe no one listens to the podcast and it's a failure and you, you know, <laughs> right. we, we move on from it, but it's yeah. still been a really positive experience for me and hopefully for you. And, yeah. um, so in that way, I hope to be better. And then I, I am off to work again tomorrow. I always, so at the firehouse, I always try to, um, do something to make myself better, do something to make the station or the engine that I'm on better and do something to make the fire department in general better. So that will continue to be my goal and usually that it's easy with the station because that I always have to clean it so that's always like all right you know for myself then I'll do you know find something to train on and get better at my job and then for the department that's always the more difficult one to try to figure out a way that you can benefit the department but usually I I like to think that when I go on calls regardless of who they are just treating people with respect reflects positively on the department and um, that's a way that I can help to better the department just as an individual. So, uh, you know, maybe that's a good, maybe that's some good stuff to, to, to impart on people too, is if you have simple goals like that, like what can I do every day to make myself better, my family better and my community better or something. And mm-hmm. um, like you said, I know you and our, our buddy, Mike Knoll had this idea one time about 
if everybody just picked up one piece of trash. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually did that at Station 19 where I used to work, and my captain noticed. He's like, what are you always picking up trash for? I'm like, just one piece of trash a day. If everybody That's picks right. up one piece of trash, like how much pretty, prettier is the world going to be? How much yeah. better is the world going to be? So little things add up over time, and so... Yeah, that's how I plan on getting better tomorrow. You never know. I think it's really interesting. Were you already, like, I didn't know this, but were you already in your mind every time you go to work? Were you thinking to yourself, how can I be better for myself, for my department, for my station? Were you already doing that? Before yes. Before I ask every, this question? Every shift I do that, uh, well, I don't know, half for how long, for a long time. Even when you were at Vail Fire? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I mean, how my, awesome is that? Another motto that I think is or in at least a, a good sort of way to live your life is to um, always leave it better than you found it kind of situation. Right. And that that was something that I learned from, um, at the time, Captain Jones. Mm-hmm. We had done a some sort of retreat, and he said, I always try to leave things better than I found it. And I was like, oh, I like that. So yeah. I adopted it at that point, and it has since turned into, morphed into um, doing something, you know, for myself that a station in the department I mean, you're you're right along with like I literally came up with that question just to have, you know, it ties into better, et cetera. It ties into I want to get to know my guests. I want to I want to know them not just as the quote unquote expert of whatever they're coming to talk about, whether it's better sleep or better sex or better whatever, you know, Um, I, I think that everyone, including myself can be better and i well, actually better sex actually leads to better sleep <laughs> so you don't have to get you don't have to get those guests it solved that problem for you <laughs> for me anyways oh yeah he's <laughs> he's right <laughs> you know, we've gone from a family show to an adult <laughs> show right at the very end i love it thanks babe Thanks for having me. I love you. And you get desperate for a guest sometime. You know where to find me. You know what? Honestly, um, you might you might just be a regular. Who knows? Let's let's yeah. listen to what the people have to say after this airs. And uh, but yeah, I I I I'm so glad everyone listening got to hear his stories and your outlook and your journey through your career. I mean, there's so much more we could talk about, obviously, after 16 years of marriage and a year before that and two kids and three dogs over our our marital lifetime. But thank you. And tune in every Tuesday. So another good thing you should ask people not to give you too much advice. No, it's all good. But what I what I like is when hosts say, well, where can people find out more Oh, yes. You're right. Thank you. Yes, you're right. See, I'm learning. This is the first one. So where can people learn more about you? Well, I didn't mean necessarily (laughs) me, but you can. The best way to to find out about me is through Instagram, because that's really the only social media I use. And I think that's just at Ryan Sutter. So anyway, thanks again, babe. Thanks, babe. I got to go get dinner on. I mean, man of all trades. I'm trying to get better at dinner. You are. You are better at dinner. Now give me a kiss. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. I hope you feel a little better off after having listened. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you're enjoying our show, please send it to a friend and put a little better into their lives. Also, if you would like to find me, you can go to Instagram at Trista Sutter 
or Facebook at Trista Sutter Fan Page. Thanks, everybody, and have a great day.